happy to be here today. Patty is out of town. And um, this is fun. I'm only a little bit nervous. So I'm getting better at this. Um, but today what we're going to do, the next character is deep in the Old Testament, just buried in there. And um, so what I want to just start off doing is, let's just be honest, who's familiar with the Old Testament? Maybe show a hand. Who reads the Old Testament regularly? Like four. Okay, so <laughs> let's start off at your tables just with the first question on your sheet. Maybe how often do you read the Old Testament? How familiar are you with it? And then just let's break that down a little bit. What are your feelings about the Old Testament? Why don't you read it? Are you scared of it? Are you intimidated? For those who do read it, tell us why you like it so that we'll be encouraged. So just let's take a few minutes as everyone comes in and talk about your feelings of the Old Testament. Go ahead. So since the Old Testament is not something we're all very familiar with or maybe even you know it like from childhood or from teaching kid versions of Old Testament stories, what I want to do for us is kind of set the stage of what what's happening in the Old Testament and place where we're going to be today. So just follow along, I guess. <clears throat> we're going to breeze through the Old Testament. So what I want to do is, in your Bible, and I don't know if this works if you use a phone version of it, but go to the contents at the very beginning. Go to the contents where it lists the books in the order they're here. Now, you might find in your Bible, I have two listings. One is the alphabetical listing of the books of the Bible, and another one is just the contents, starting with Genesis, Exodus. Go to the one where they're in order. Okay? So get there. And so this, the Bible is... You know, overall, beginning to end, is the story of God, the story of God's people, and how he's redeeming his people. And so, just to, like, consider, if you only stick with the New Testament, look how much you don't read. You only read this little tiny bit of God's story, and there's so much more of God's story. So I hope today that we will get a little more excited to try reading some of it. But So let's go back. So if you're in the contents page, the Old Testament is the Jewish Bible, basically. And so up until Jesus is what Jews are reading. But we are going to, if you start at Genesis, so you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those first five books are called the Pentateuch or the Torah, if you've heard that before. That is when you read later on in the Bible and you hear about the law and referring to God's word and the law. That's those five books. That's the Torah that is being referred to. And those are the stories that maybe you're more familiar with. The Genesis is about the patriarch. So that's Adam and Eve, and then Noah, it's the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
Jacob is the one with the 12 sons. You know Joseph, the amazing technicolor dream coat. That's Joseph. That's where Genesis ends, is those patriarchs ending up with Joseph, and they all go to Egypt. In Egypt, then, that's where um, they're, they're there for 400 years, and then they become slaves in Egypt. So then you know that part in Exodus. Um, that Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go, there's the ten plagues, out they go. That's the Exodus. And that, I was just looking up, just wondering how many people left at that time. And, I mean, nobody knows for sure. But maybe 22,000 people left Egypt, up to maybe like two and a half million people left Egypt. You know, like, no one knows for sure. But regardless, there are so many Israelites now in Egypt who then Moses leads out and they're headed towards the promised land. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's their history, that's the law, that's the Ten Commandments are written in that, those books. And God is setting apart his people in those first five books, the Torah. Now they wander around, they don't go into the promised land right away, it takes them like I think a whole generation. Like the original people who leave don't go into the promised land. So it's years, years that they are in the desert. Remember, following the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. They're eating manna. That's all in the desert. Then in Joshua, see that's the sixth book. Joshua is the next in line. After Moses comes Joshua. He's the leader of the people, and he's the one who leads them into the promised land. So the book of Joshua... That, if you like war, you should read Joshua, because all they're doing is fighting people group after people group after people group, and God promised to give them this land, and they do that by conquering these peoples. So, And that's Joshua. So if you know the story of Jericho, where they circle around the city of Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down, that's one of the cities. That's in Joshua. So you like that part, you should read that. <clears throat> after Joshua comes Judges. So then at this time, there's 200 years of judges leading God's people. And they're just wise people helping settle things. They're being the leaders for 200 years. Then comes Ruth and the story of Ruth. Then next is 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. The beginning of 1 Samuel, that is where... So all this time the judges have been ruling for 200 years and the people of God are going crazy because they want a king. Everyone else has a king, they want a king. And so God gives them a king. And that begins in 1 Samuel. Then the first king is Saul, and then the next king is King David. And so, you know, King David, he was the boy who fought Goliath with the stone, hit him in the head. He became, he was the second king of Israel. So that is happening in Samuel, that story actually of David and Goliath, if you wanted to go read the grown-up version in your Bible instead of the kid version, that is 1 Samuel chapter 17. So that's where, that's where we're at. And so Samuel is, he's actually a really awesome, holy, holy man. He was the last judge, the first priest. He was in that switch from judges to kings. And he was just a generally dedicated man. He followed God and served God his whole life. And um, he actually anointed Saul as the first king. He anointed David as the second king. And he anointed David as a boy. And then it was years later, David grew up to be the king. 
So that's Samuel. Today, even though I'm giving you more about Samuel, Samuel's not who we're talking about today. Who we're talking about today is Samuel's mom, Hannah. And she's at the very beginning. The book of 1 Samuel starts with Hannah's story, Samuel's mom. So um, my brother... I have lots of brothers and sisters, but one of my brothers has been in Baltimore in the last week, and he just posted a picture on Facebook of, I don't even know what it is, some kind of market that's in Baltimore that's probably famous, and he is into, um, oh, what's that called, Ancestry.com, or one of those, you know, where you look up your family trees, and so he finds out that my great-great-grandpa was a fruit seller at this market. And so he took a picture and said, hey, great-great-grandpa, he came in from Italy and was a fruit seller there. And I was thinking, like, it was probably no big deal. It was, I mean, it's probably not that glamorous. But when I saw that picture, I don't even know my great-great-grandfather's name. But I don't know, something welled up in me of, like, that's my grandpa, the fruit seller. <laughs> like, I know it's hokey, but something, that was, like, for real. And then my grandma just visited Italy, and um, I don't know if you even follow the family tree, but, like, I don't know, a grandpa, not the, not the fruit seller, the other grandpa. They got his birth certificate from Sicily, and they found the little storefront where he was born in the building upstairs. Again, I don't even know this man's name. Like, my family's not talking about history much. But when she told me, I was like, they have his birth certificate. I don't even know what that means to me. But some pride wells up. And so I don't know if you feel that way. You learn about family, and there's pride, even in the little things, like a farmer's market, that there's pride. And, you know, as I was thinking about that, that... That, as I've been reading about Hannah, that the same thing has welled up in me. I'm like, here is a holy woman who followed God, and as, as believers, she's our family history. She's real. She really lived. It was like 3,000 years ago, but she she's our family, and that kind of pride of she's a woman of God, and she was just real. I... I'm proud to say she's in my heritage, too. And it's so much greater than a fruit seller. <laughs> Here, she serves, as we say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I would want to include her. And the God of Hannah, I serve the same God. My God did miracles for her, like I hope he'll do miracles for me. And there is something awesome about she's our history. And that she's in that cloud of witnesses in heaven. And one day, we're going to meet her. And that's just awesome. So I just hope that you are encouraged by her as this, like, matriarch of our faith. Okay, so all that being said, let's look at her story. Okay, so turn to 1 Samuel. Hopefully you can find it since you were just on the contents page. <laughs> it's 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's, before we read this, let's just pray for a minute that God would use this word. 
<clears throat> Lord God, I thank you so much for your word and for um, this rich history of believers. And I thank you that I don't even know my own great-grandfather's name, but I know Hannah. And I thank you that that's probably true for a lot of us. And um, I just pray that you would use her story today to encourage us and to fill us up and lift us up and to know you better, um, our God, the God of Hannah. Teach us today and fill us up, Lord. We just pray that everything would glorify you and that as our lives change, they would glorify you. In your name, amen. Okay. So 1 Samuel 1, it's like two chapters long. I'm certainly not going to read all of that, but we're going to read a lot of it. So follow along or listen up. <laughs> okay, so starting at verse 1. I'll do my best on the names. I did look them up on the internet to try, so bear with me. There was a certain man from Ramatham Thamanam. A Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. You're welcome. <laughs> he had, okay, we get that Elkanah. That's who we're talking about. Okay, Elkanah, sorry, Elkanah. Elkanah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrificed to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? We'll stop there. So here's poor Hannah. Poor Hannah's problem. She is childless, and that's a really big problem. Um, I mean, any of us here who've ever struggled with infertility know the pain that that is. Um, and I think we can safely say it was even worse for Hannah. Um, everything was tied up in her ability to have a child. Her worth at this time in history was all about providing children. They needed children to work, and, you know, like, it was important to have children. And that was her role, and her only real mission in life was to produce a child. So, to the point that if she didn't, her husband could divorce her and send her home, because... She was worthless then to him, and he could find someone who couldn't have children. <clears throat> and so she would be sent home. So her family security is very much at risk here. Her self-worth is painful. She, if she can't do her one job, I mean, she's got failure written all over her. She also um, 
as we'll see later, I really struggles with, I'm sure, feeling unloved by God. She is a woman of faith. And so where is God? Why isn't God giving her a child? Does God not love her? Is God angry at her? Is this a punishment? I'm sure all these questions would go through her mind. Um, as I'm sure those kinds of questions would go through our mind, too. <clears throat> The piece about her being a failure, I think, really stinks that it was in this area because she had a monthly reminder that she was a failure. Like, there was no time to, like, let it go out of her mind. I mean, any of us here who tried to have a baby and it took more than one month know that devastation of, ugh, not this month. And you wait again and you wait again. Ugh, not this month. And I know... For me, that, for one of my children, it was many months of waiting, and that waiting was torture. But for some of you, maybe it was many years, or or maybe ever. And that pain of waiting, wondering why not, is awful. And for her, because of all those other levels, was, I'm sure, even harder than it is for us. And then, as if that's not bad enough, she's got the other wife, who's a mean girl, and is picking on her and provoking her. That it, Did you catch it? She provokes her to the point of weeping. She wouldn't eat. I think she is just mean, picking on her, sending poor Hannah into a deeper depression. And I just feel for Hannah. She's attacked from every side. Um... I am sure that Hannah's got an inner dialogue going, if only. If only I could have a baby, things would be better. If only I had a baby, my family security would be for sure. My husband's love would be for sure. If only I had a baby, she'd lay off of me. If only I had a baby, I would feel better. If only I had a baby, I'd know God loved me. And that... That's a hard thing to have going in your head. And I suspect we all have, if only, dialogues in our head. Um, I'm sure a lot of ours are like hers, like future, wanting kind of things. If maybe it's like her, if only I could have a baby. If only I could get married. I know that's a hard one. Um, if only I could get a better job. If I could finish school. If I could just make it to retirement. If I could... Whatever. Get over an illness. Get over an addiction. If only. Do you have an if only that you're waiting for? I think we also play this game of going backwards. And it's in the form of a regret. If only I had married him. If only I had been faithful. If only I'd been a better mother. If I'd taken that job. If, and we are wrapped up in the if only of the past. And are letting it do the same things it was doing for Hannah. I, giving us an identity wrapped around this if only. So for you, as you're thinking about that, let's ask that at your table. Do you have an if only? Maybe to think about if you could finish the sentence. Everything would be better for me if only... I'll just tell you for my family, my husband and I are, if only that we play around on all the time, is if only my husband could get the job he wanted. And sometimes we can let it go, and then it comes back. 
which I'm sure for Hannah too, she could probably let it go for maybe like 26 or 27 days, and then on the 28th day, I suspect she was reminded again, if only. <laughs> and sometimes that kind of happens to us sometimes. If only you could get the job that would make him happy, then this would get better, 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 and we'd be okay. So, do you have an if only? Everything would be better if fill in the blank. Go ahead. So, Hannah's, I think, time in her struggle of trying to have a baby lasted a long time. And we know that because it says in the story that Penina, enough time passed for her to have several children. So this is years going by of her not having a baby. And I think to point out that she's the one the husband loves. So there was probably opportunity to get pregnant too, and so it just drags it out even longer. So I just feel for her that she is having a really hard time, and it seems that God was waiting for her to get to a desperate situation. Um, I suspect, just as we do, we have all kinds of medical options to try to get pregnant, but we also have all kinds of old wives tale kind of tricks that we would try to and so I'm sure she had tricks to try and um, I believe God waited for her to try every single one of those so that she would need God even more so and that um, nobody else could get the credit when she does have a baby um, but to get to that point she just falls apart, just straight up. She's a mess. And um, there's actually, what I really love about this story is there's a lot of descriptors of her emotional and spiritual struggle. And some of them are third, like a third-person description, but a lot of them are her own words um, that I even... I'm not super awesome in the Old Testament. It's a, a newer undertaking for me, so there's lots I haven't read yet, but... I sort of think she's got, like, we must know the most about her of any woman because so much of it is written from her voice. But so, anyways, let's keep reading so you can see all of her description. So I'm going to start in verse 9. It says, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, remember that's where they went up to like make their yearly sacrifices. So once when they finished eating and drinking, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So, here you can see, she is 
She's a mess. And having a hard time. And I, I really love that we get to see her emotions and her struggles and that she is very honest with them. She certainly doesn't cover it up. She is not the girl when you say, oh, how are you, Hannah? Oh, fine. <laughs> She's like, I'm in great English. I can't eat. I'm a mess. She is just putting it out there. And so I just wonder, before we go a little closer, are you like her? I wonder what you tend to do. Do you put on a brave face and say, I'm fine, everything's great, God's in control? Or are you honest about when there's pain and trials in your life? So just maybe quickly share on your table. Are you like Hannah? Are you not like Hannah? Go ahead. Okay, let's look again at her, all that is said about Hannah. I believe on your note guide. I just listed them out. This is um, on here, Hannah's emotions. If you are newer to studying the Bible, I find that this is a helpful thing to do when you're reading a long thing or trying to go deeper on something. It helps to like pull out the things that are similar and list them out. Because you can read this story and go, oh yeah, Hannah's having a hard day. But then if you pull them out and just list them out and here, she's irritated. She's provoked from the other wife till she wept and would not eat. And she's thinking, what would it take to drive a person that far? Um, maybe she's abused by her. We don't know how bad that story is. She's certainly depressed. She's afraid. Um, it's bad when you don't eat. Or in my case, it's bad when you start eating more. <laughs> I have the other problem. <laughs> Anyways. Um, bitterness of soul, she's bitter, she's miserable, she feels forgotten she remembers she, in her prayer she says to God, remember me don't forget me, that she's feeling forgotten by God she's deeply troubled, saying she pours out her soul, she's in great anguish and grief, and then we just know, she's been waiting forever and the pain in waiting is terrible sometimes um, but this is life. Um, I think maybe we get in our head that being a follower of God means everything is okay and we're better and we have the fruit of the Spirit pouring out of us all the time and everything's wonderful and joyful. And Sometimes it's just not, right? Like, this is life. These things happen to us. And even Jesus said, John 16, 33 there, in this world you will have trouble. Here's Hannah's trouble. I'm sure you've got troubles too. Even as I was thinking about this and realizing and my own troubles, though, um, that I'll just sing it out to share it with you. And you think too, can you relate to Hannah? I find that I can relate to Hannah. The last month has been hard on my family. Um, my husband's having a hard time with work and it's just been struggling. And any of you are married now, if one person, the couple struggles, eventually it rubs off. And so there's the weight of that. And then I have three children. Um, my oldest son is nine, and then I have a daughter, Lauren, who's six, and my youngest is three, and I can't even imagine how many of you have seen me dragging her out, kicking and screaming out of this building. 
I hate to even think how many of you have seen me do that. (laughs) That's not how it's supposed to be. (laughs) But that happens, and it has happened a lot recently, and she is um, a lovely child. Any of you who have met her would agree. She's adorable, and this beautiful smile. But, oh my gosh, she's so awkward. And I keep thinking she's three and a half, she's almost four, so I've been waiting since she was about 15 months for her to get out of terrible tubes. I, I keep thinking, we're almost there, we're almost there. And I thought things were getting better, and then she amps it up again, and the last month has been, like, all new drama with my daughter. And I was thinking, I'm irritated. I want to weep. I'm eating so much more. I'm a little bitter even. Some days I'm miserable. God, why aren't you helping me? And I find that I relate. And I know it's certainly not to the extent of needing a baby. Um, That feels like a whole other thing. And... But, I mean, I've got one to spare, maybe. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Totally joking. (laughs) I love her. (laughs) But, (laughs) I'm sure you can relate. Um, So, anyways, can you relate to Hannah? I know that this is a big question, especially for those of you who are newer. Maybe you don't know people at your table yet, and it will take a giant leap of faith for you to share something. But come on, you can do it. (laughs) You'll feel better, or we'll get to know each other better, or you'll have a better conversation if you can share something. I know some of you will have no trouble giving a long version, like I just did. Um, Maybe try and keep it shorter. You can always go out for lunch and get the whole story. (laughs) And if you are thinking, well, there's no way I'm saying what's wrong with me, You don't have to give all the details. Just give a little bit, and we'll be okay with it. So, okay, so there you go. Can you relate to Hannah? The other question, if you feel like, oh, we've got tons of time because no one's telling anything, then how does that impact your spiritual response? I think this is right here. When you feel these things, what's your spiritual response to your emotions? So, go ahead. Okay, so did you get to that second part? What's your spiritual response to pain and trouble and anguish? What's your spiritual response? What we're going to do is look at what is Hannah's spiritual response. And um, we can, I love that here we see where her troubled spirit, her great anguish and pain, it leads her to God. And um, that's certainly not always the case, right? Sometimes we pull back from God when we're feeling great pain, waiting for it to pass. Um, and maybe she did too. We don't know what it was like for those years leading up until this point. But at this point, when things change, she's drawn to God. And God has the power to change things. Um, so we've looked at that her prayer is... Um, Honest, But I also want to point out that I think that her prayer is very spirit-led at this point. Um, It's a little bit of speculating, but here's how we get there. 
Let me see if you agree with me. Um, so in verse 11, she makes the vow to God. Um, o Lord Almighty, if you'll only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And then verse 12, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, and Eli thought she was drunk. This immediately makes me think of another time when people are praying and they are mistaken as drugs. And that's at Pentecost. And I just wonder, was her prayer spirit-filled? That it would have a similar description. The other reason I believe that she is spirit-led at this point is, who makes a vow like this? All I want is a baby and I'll give him back to you? That's like crazy talk, right? But... We can see that she ends up having Samuel, who God uses for, in mighty ways. That, that is exactly what God wanted, was waiting for her to come to this point. And I really think it was God who led her to make a promise like that and, that, and that she would be in a place where she meant it, even. Because plenty of us have, made, have said things that we didn't mean. But she was at a point where she could say it and mean it. And so therefore, I think her prayer is very spirit-led. Um, do I have more on that? So the whole surrender. I think that she, that's huge, I think, is that she's willing to give up the one thing she wants. It kind of changes the story then, that She's willing to say, the one thing I need, the one thing that would make me whole, the one thing that would give me purpose, I'm willing to give it over to you, God. I think, in effect, say, I'll take you, God, instead. And that she looks to God um, later on in chapter 2, which you can read on your own, is her prayer praising God after the fact. Like, after this whole story ends, she has a long prayer praising God. And she says in this prayer about how God has humbled her and lifted up the humble. And I, that humility goes along with surrender, where you give up that piece of, I deserve this. God, where are you? Don't I deserve to have something? Um, and that we expect God to do what we think we need. Um, just, I mean, along those lines. So... All my kids are now in school, at least a little bit. My older two are in grade school, and Jada started preschool two days a week this fall, and it was magnificent. And, <laughs> right? I, I was, you know, it's only two days a week, but it was glorious. And all summer, I was counting down to her starting school because for the first time in nine years... <laughs> I would have time to myself on a regular basis because I stay home. And I told everybody, probably you all know this already, because I told everybody that I was going to have six and a half hours a week come August 3rd. And everyone, that's wonderful, that's wonderful, you deserve it, what are you going to do? And and I agreed, I do deserve it, I worked so hard, these children are nice people, and I made it. <laughs> and then I read this, <laughs> and... 
God really convicted me, I just hate to even say of, I'm sorry, you deserve what? (laughs) And whose time is that? And I have a nice long list of all the things I was going to do with my six hours. And God really, like, stopped me in my tracks and humbled me of, whose time do you think that is? Who gets to say what you're going to do at that time? I'm sorry, what? (laughs) And it made me really hold back and go, I guess I really don't deserve anything this good. (laughs) And I didn't do really anything to earn this. And ultimately, it's God's time. And maybe I'll do my long list on my agenda. And maybe I won't. And that, I think, in humility, we have to, like Hannah, lay down the thing the one thing I think I deserve, the thing I think I need to make me feel better, I'll be a better mom if I have time. And to lay that down and say, no, God, what do you want? Speak into my life. What I need, I will look to you for. I won't look to a baby. I won't look to a husband. I won't look to a job. I won't look to my free time. I will look to God to speak into my life. And that's humility. That's full surrender. And that's what Hannah did. And that's, for me, and maybe for you too, of what do you think you deserve? And maybe you need to be humbled and let that go and let God fill you. Um, So in Hannah's case, when she does this, she fully surrenders, literally leaves the baby, that she vows to give the baby back to God. Which sounds like ludicrous to us, that she is offering to give him back. Um, But times were different. You just have to be okay with that. Go do history if you need to do history about that one. But times were different. um, But I think the important thing here is that full surrender does not always mean that we get what we want. And um, that just because Hannah prayed this way and made a vow, that doesn't... And, I mean... She ends up having Samuel, we know. That doesn't mean she prayed the right way, so she got what she wanted. It, like God doesn't work like that. And I'm sure lots of you have done this, where you're like praying, 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 like jumping through hoops with God, trying to say the right words to get the healing you think you need or the money you think you deserve or whatever that you're waiting for. Maybe an adult child to come to the Lord, finally something, where you've been waiting and waiting and waiting, praying and praying. And it's not like that. You know, it's not where we say the right words and then God does his tricks for us. Like, hollow. That's not how it works. Like, we need to be humble. Um, and so we just need to be careful with what, what we think we expect from God and be humble there. Um, but there are some things that God for sure does do when we humble and fully surrender ourselves. And I think we can see that here. So we're going to pick up reading again. I'm going to start in verse 17. I didn't write this on your sheet. Um, So I'm starting at verse 17. Okay, so she just prayed, made her promise, and then Eli the priest answers, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. 
So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. I'm going to skip to verse 24. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah flower, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Um, She literally, just for your own knowledge's sake, she really did drop him off at the temple. He was, um, she says, after he was weaned, um, everyone thinks he was probably three years old. And um, so after he was weaned, a three-year-old brings him to the temple and drops him off to live at the temple and serve the Lord there. Crazy, right? That's what they did. And um, that is apparently exactly what God wanted, To Remember, I think that God led her to pray that prayer. This is apparently not as crazy as it might sound to us then. And, and if you keep reading in Samuel, you will see how remarkably God used Samuel. It's, an, it's awesome, so you should read that. Um, so, but what we see, there's like this big history piece then it like sets the stage for what God's going to do in Samuel's life and how God started with Hannah. But we see how God also ministered to Hannah. And I, this is where we can find some truths about God for when we are dealing with difficult times. Um, the first thing, and you'll see I was wild and crazy and I gave you blanks to fill in. Those of you know, I'm not... I'm scared of blanks, but here you go. <laughs> Try not to mess it up too much. The first thing we see here is God gives her peace. And we see that even before she even has a chance to get pregnant, God gives her peace. We see that. Okay, so we, right, can we beat it to death? She was a disaster. Eli says to her in verse 17, go in peace. Verse 18 Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. And remember, she wasn't eating, she was weeping, she was crying, wailing. And just like that, apparently, she gets up, goes and eats. Like, just think, that depression lifted. And it wasn't because she had a baby, she wasn't even home yet. There was... I mean, even though Eli says, may God give it to you, it's still like, it's not there. It's not for sure yet. But I think God lifts that burden off of her. Um, a verse maybe you're familiar with is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Um, I'll flip there, but if you're fast, you can flip there. But I'm going to try and go fast. <laughs> Philippians 4. 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we kind of see this happen to Hannah. And I think it's important to note, we read, Do not be anxious. And obviously we get anxious, right? I don't know that this says don't ever be anxious. I think it more so means don't stay anxious. That Hannah was a mess. Our life is just as difficult and in some cases maybe more difficult. And of course we will feel pain and feel anxiety and 
God says, well, don't stay that way. Bring it to me. And we see that Hannah brings her pain to God, pours out her spirit, and then God lifts her up and gives her peace. And I think that that is a promise we see throughout the Bible, that God will give us peace. At the same point, I think it is seen as she had the baby and then waited three years to drop him off. I'm thinking those three years were like torture for her. That even though she walked away in peace, I suspect it didn't stay like all wonderful and like, can't wait to give him away. I'm thinking that it was very painful and that she probably continued to have trials those three years going, what have I done? Do I really have to do that? Did I really mean I would drop him off? Or like trying to negotiate a better deal with God. That I'm thinking that those years were hard, but that... I know in my own life, and I'm sure many of you can say, the more we go to God, the more he gives us peace in those times. Um, The next thing we see God do um, is God remembers her. This is cool. Um, If you like to write in your Bible, this is is a good one to like circle. In verse 11 is her prayer, and she says... um, Oh, Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me. That she prays, God, remember me. I I underline that in my Bible. And then we see this why like this. The direct answer to her prayer. If you wonder, does God answer prayer? Mark this one. Here's an example. In verse 19, so they got up the next morning and went and worshipped the Lord. Then they went home. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And there you go. God answers her prayer. Remember me? He remembers. And that that is true of God throughout and true of God for us, that God remembers us. Um, some, yeah, I put those verses on your page. Psalm 103.8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, abounding in love. I think remembering really ties right in that God is compassionate and he loves us and he is not turned away from us. Um, Psalm 103, 13, as a father is compassionate on his children, so the Lord is compassionate on those who fear him. Isaiah 49, 15, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she is born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. This is a promise from God, which is not always I remember that God says, I remember by saying yes to your prayer. Sometimes the answer is no, but that he always remembers. He always has compassion. He is always loving towards us. And to know God remembers you. The next thing we see is that God is her rock. This is actually in chapter 2, verse 2. This is her reflecting on these years. As she looks back on the years waiting to have a baby, all the trials of the other wife being nasty to her, all that waiting, her husband saying, aren't I enough? And her dealing with, no, actually you're not. I really need this. And then the years of she has a baby, now I have to give him away. What does that mean for me? And all those ups and downs, She says in chapter 2, verse 2, There was no one holy like the Lord. There was no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And that God is her rock. 
And um, this passage, Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27, I'll leave that for you to go read later. But that is the parable um, where if you build your house on the solid rock, then the storms will come and you'll be okay. If you build your house on sandy ground, then the storms will come and you'll crash. And you'll more or less. (laughs) That we, if we build our foundation on the rock, on God, then will stay strong. The storms will come. Things will be bad. The trees will be falling on us. But if God is our foundation, we'll be okay. And we can see that for Hannah, that God is the unchanging one through all this. She's all over the map. And I, it's important for us that we are not expected to be the rock. God is the rock. We will have trouble. We will endure storms. We will be all over the place, even, I think, within our own faith and having doubts and struggling. God, who are you? Even Hannah, have you forgotten me? Where are you? That I think even our faith and spiritual life will go up and down. But if our foundation is on the rock and on God and our faith is firm there, we'll be okay and we'll be able to say as the years go by, God, you are my rock. You are the constant one. Um, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That we can be confident that God is an unchanging, even when everything around us and in us is changing. And so looking at these three things, of God gives her peace, God remembers her, and God is her rock. Which of these three qualities or promises of God do you want to experience more of? Um, so just think about those for a minute and share at your table which of those would you like to have more firmly within you. Go ahead. Okay, let's go back. Um, I just, I guess I want to say that if any of these three areas, I mean, we obviously just barely touch on God's peace and God's faithfulness to us and remembering us and can be in our rock. If any of those stir in you, like, yes, I need to know that more. Um, I didn't give you an assignment or any kind of homework or anything, but I know that if you look up these concepts, like if you look in your concordances or if you go on like BibleGateway.com and put in remembering or the rock, if you look up the rock, There are so many verses, so many promises of God, stories and verses about peace. To go and look them all up, stack them up, write those verses on index cards or something, and stack them up in front of you. God will speak to you in his word in that way, and you will be able to hold on to that. So I just really encourage you, if you need something to do this week. (laughs) But if these things speak to you, to go and do that and find those, and you will be able to find them. And it's there for you to find. Okay, anyways, moving on. There's just one more thing, except on my pages it's very long, but on yours is short. One more, like the bigger picture of it all. Okay, so this is what we can learn from Hannah, is from her story, the details. But then because this is, like, 
a true story of what God did. There's just more when you look at the whole big picture of it that I think is really cool. Um, like when we read the New Testament, it's just easy for us to like take lines and apply it to our life. It's just easy because it's so much of it is instructional and be like, okay, it says don't do this, I shouldn't do that, and it's easy. The Old Testament is just harder to do that. Um, and so I'm not even sure this last point is like super applicable, but it's cool to know, even if it's not. Because um, in the Old Testament, you can't like read the story and be like, well, since Hannah prayed this way to have a baby, if I do the same thing, I will have a baby too. Like It doesn't work that way. This, this is God speaking to Hannah. This is her experience. And so not everything is this universal promise. Um, but we can learn just so much about God and what he's doing in the bigger picture of this. Um, so I just want to look at the bigger picture then. So I think it's amazing when you think about this that God's plans are so much bigger than Hannah's plan. What Hannah can see here, that she's really got this, she's looking at it really just narrowly and self-focused, not even necessarily in a bad way, but she can only see this little piece of it right in front of her face. So it's about her self-worth and her desires, about her relationship with her family and her God, her understanding of who God is. It's all kind of right here. And I love that we see God's kindness and graciousness to her in that self-focused kind of a way. But that we can also see that God's got huge plans, that this is the beginning of huge changes in the kingdom of God. And he invites Hannah in as part of it, and she doesn't even know it. Um, we see that first, like way at the beginning of the story in verse 6, that God is the one who closed her womb. Like This wasn't just a biological malfunction here or something. God closed her womb. It was not time for her to have babies yet. And I love that God is in control of that, and that God waited for her to exhaust all of her resources. When I think about that, everyone else is just having babies. It's just biology. They're having babies. No one's thinking anything of it. I mean, many of us even have had babies, and some of us even say, like, I don't even know how that happened. They just fall out of some of us. And that is what's happening. But not to Hannah. That's not her story. She's got to try everything in the book. She's got to get to a point of needing God to intervene. And why I think that's awesome is that God had huge plans for Samuel. He was a major character in the bigger story of God. But that God also wanted Samuel to be the answer to prayer. And I think in a lot of things, God wants to move in an answer to prayer. He certainly doesn't need us to pray. Like, he can do whatever he wants. But he often does move in answer to prayer. And he waited until Hannah could get to a place where she prayed so that Samuel would also be the answer to prayer. Um, and I that began Hannah as a prayer warrior. This is just me totally speculating now. But if I were in her shoes and God answered to prayer this huge, I would start believing in prayer, wouldn't you? I mean, that she even names him because 
the Samuel meant because I asked the Lord for him. She is a believer in prayer now. And so when she took Samuel to the temple then and left him there, she didn't just like abandon him. It wasn't over. It says that she brought him a new robe every year. And can't you just picture her sitting at home, sewing him a new robe, praying for him? Praying for Samuel. And God, is, if you read in the story of Samuel, God is speaking to Samuel and moving in Samuel's life. And he's got mom at home praying for him. And then as the kingdom of God is setting up kings, that Saul is the first king and Samuel, Saul's a bad guy, he's a bad king. But Samuel's there with him, speaking God's truth and being his priest and his prophet, his mentor. And Hannah's at home, I bet, praying for Saul. And then the year Hannah comes to visit Samuel, and Samuel anoints David when he's a boy to be king. What if she met David, and she's praying for David? I mean, we don't know how long she lived, but what if she was a part of all this? If nothing else, we know that she is Samuel's prayer warrior to begin this reign of kings, and that David is... The line that Jesus comes from, the ultimate king of kings, it's starting with her son. And that because he wasn't just another baby who was born randomly like every other kid, but that she prayed, God involved her in this huge turn of history, and that she got to be a part of the kingdom in such a magnificent way. I just think, that's awesome. That even if nothing else just to know that this is how God works. He wants to involve us in his plans, and maybe he's involving in something huge, that like, Hannah, you don't even know where this is going. She didn't know where this was going. Um, So for us, I don't know, to try and like pull something out of it, um, I wonder what we need what we could be obedient to pray for. What do we need to pray for? And maybe it would turn into something really magnificent, you know, like setting up the lineage of the King of Kings. I don't know that would be that awesome, but it might be. And for me, as I was thinking about this, where do I need to pray? It just immediately struck the troubles in my life right now are, I mean, they're nothing like this, but... The things weighing on me are my husband's overwhelmed and my daughter's driving me crazy. And I need God in that. And I can try and deal with it or I can go to God like Hannah. And singing, I, what I need now are these things. I need God to give me peace as my daughter strips it away from me. And I need God to be my rock when he's overwhelmed. And as I've been, I find myself praying a lot this week. That, like, I even had trouble doing this because this is what's on my, you know, like, these burdens are on me. That I've been praying a lot this week. And I can honestly say, day after day of pouring out my heart, that God is near. And I do feel God remembers me. He's with me. And he will meet me in these troubles. And maybe someday Jada will grow up and be the president. And I'll say I prayed for her then. (laughs) I mean, maybe not, but... But maybe things will turn out to have more meaning. But even if we can't see the greater purpose of God, we know that God moves in huge ways. And we can partake in praying right now for the things we see right now. Even if it feels self-focused.
Maybe that's exactly what God is doing, is setting these things up so we will pray for them. So in just the last few minutes here, um, is there? can you talk about that at your table? Do you? What do you need to pray for? Um, even if they're your little troubles in comparison, um, what can you pray for? So let's, we still have a few, like five or so minutes. Let's take that time to pray together. And maybe just first share your table quickly. Um, and I'll cut you off in a few minutes and tell you now you should start praying. Because I know you all just talk the whole time. <clears throat> but what what could you be praying for? And then we'll pray. Okay, go ahead.